Support comes from the City of Elgin, celebrating St. Patrick's Day with a sip, shop, and stroll event in downtown Elgin, including a farmer's market, extended store hours, kids' activities, and refreshments. 19 miles east of Austin on Highway 290. More at elgintexas.gov. From KUT and KUTX Studios. Hey there, it's Elizabeth McQueen, the host of this song, and I want to let you know that soon we'll be doing things a little differently around here. We're going to move to a season format for this podcast. We have one more episode left after this with Eric and Brian from Blitz and Trapper. Then we're taking a break from making new episodes. We're going to use our time to collect a bunch of great interviews and make new shows. And then starting right before Thanksgiving, we'll start releasing them. So yes, that is what is going to happen and now, let's get started with the show. Hello and welcome to This Song, the podcast where artists talk about the songs that changed their lives. And then we use those conversations to talk about, you know, all the good stuff. Creativity, inspiration, artistic process. And today... We're going where no, this song has gone before, like, at least not yet. In this episode, we're dipping our toes into the world of classical music. Now, don't worry, this isn't going to be, like, stuffy or overly intellectual. Like, okay, not that classical music is stuffy, but you know what I mean. Like, it's going to be cool. Everyone we interviewed in this episode, first Thor Harris and then Grace London and Zoe Zarnecki from Miss Simplicity, like all three of them referenced classical music in some way. And that actually hasn't happened that much on this podcast. So let's get started with Thor Harris. Thor is a drummer here in Austin, Texas, and he's played with lots of folks. He's played with Amanda Palmer and Bill Callahan, and he's the percussionist for Swans, and now he has his own project called Thor and Friends. It's a big band with a rotating cast of musicians, and at its core are Thor and Peggy Gorbani and Sarah Gautier, and the band has like marimbas and violins and violas and steel guitar. And they play these songs that are, I mean, the word I keep thinking of is enveloping. Like when I listen to their music, I feel like it's just wrapping around me and taking me to a place that like I just want to be in. And in this interview, he talks about how he came to want to make this kind of music. And also he talks about prog rock. So here he is, Thor Harris. Heart of the Sunrise by Yes is my numero uno. I just could not believe that all that stuff could be put into like a rock song. I mean, it has like, it's, the way it starts is almost like speed metal. It just starts with this real like churning really fast bit. 
That guy's my favorite drummer, Bill Bruford. His real just had a really fantastic snare sound and he was real accurate and clean sounding, mm-hmm. but real dynamic too. He, you know, he sounded wild. He wasn't, you know, too clean. It's hard to do that. It's hard yeah, to I sa- think- it's hard to sound out of control and in control I at know. the same time. Exactly. Yes song? Yeah. Um, I, we started, me and my friend Colin, he became my friend when I was three years old, and we're still friends. He's like two years older than me. Um, he lives in Houston, and um, we were hanging out. We would hang out and draw a lot. We were both really good at drawing. We were kind of art dweeb kids. And he got this Yes album called Tourmato. And then we started working our way backward from there because it had just come out. So we started getting the older stuff because we liked it so much. Or maybe it was Going for the One, which I think is really a remarkable album too. Um, And we started, you know, just expanding out from there, getting into other prog rock groups like Genesis. Jethro Tull made a lot of really proggy records. Sitting on the park bench, eyeing little girls with bad intent. Snots running down his Brian Eno had a prog band back then. I forgot what they were called, but they sort of had a name like it was like a couple of letters and a number. Oh, I didn't. I didn't know Brian Eno had a prog band. Yeah, they, they played like weird meter stuff. So, so you started getting so, but when you heard this this one song, was it was there something different about this song than all the rest of this like prog rock that was now swirling around you? Well, that. That song was really the gateway into prog rock. And to me, it's like still, it's still one of the crown, crowning achievements of prog rock because it's just, it, it's got, you know, it's got so many different parts. Like that stuff then eventually sort of morphed into it it met with metal in 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 the in the rush years. Mm-hmm. Um and I also was a huge rush fan. A Monday warrior mean mean stride. Today's time saw you mean
that stuff hasn't, you know, I'll admit that it's awful in some ways. It's still beautiful to me. And I think there's something about the stuff that you, like, discover. I mean, eighth grade is that time when you're really starting to find to define yourself around like what kind of music you listen to and like yeah. this is this is who I am like based around music and there's something about that music that you choose at that time you can't have like a perspective on it other than like one that's filled with love you know because yeah. it's like like you fell in love with this music and to a certain extent you probably still are I do have a classical background, but I was a very bad student. But I thought classical music was horrible and boring. And you know what? To tell you the truth, I actually still kind of think that all of that Baroque stuff is, you know, then it became really about virtuoso. And it's just so, um, you know, that music just sounds so uptight and it's just so complicated. I think it just had a really bad period from about the year 1500 until about the year 1920 or so. When when these like weirdo minimalists started like when John Cage and I know John Cage was a little bit later than that, but when those 20th century people started just smashing the uh the pillars of classical music and and really when classical music started running into stuff like the blues and rock and roll i mean i think that's when it got super interesting again you had a background in classical music it it could be like because i i knew how to count that music and i I knew a little bit like it took me you know no time to learn the drum parts from beatles songs and from kiss and whatever else was on the radio but suddenly this stuff was so complicated and it like sort of pushed my it pushed my learning as a young drummer to this sort of new level because it was really difficult stuff to learn. Prog rock just exploded my mind. I feel like the very thing that you told me that you didn't like about classical music, which is that it's about like virtuosity and it's super complicated. Um are the very things that attracted you to prog rock. Yeah, so, that's true. Which, which, um, I mean, it seems like maybe in eighth grade you kind of did like some emotional transference from classical music over to prog rock. I don't want to yeah. psychoanalyze you, but it seems no, like- No, I think you're on to something. project and then you I mean you've gone on to play with a bunch of people you played with swans which is like kind yeah. of 
proggy sometimes. It kind of can like, be, can yeah. can be kind of. Um, but now you've got your own Thor and Friends project, and you're you're going, you're coming like full circle. When did you start to kind of realize you were into you were into classical music? So I saw this band in Australia. They opened for Swans. They're called the Necks, mm-hmm. like, like like my neck, like your neck. Uh huh. Every piece that the Necks play is an hour long, and it's an improvisation, and it starts out kind of ambling, but real repetitive, um, but just long pieces that sort of slowly morph um, and become real sort of hypnotic. It, 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 just, it just seemed like such a high calling. White Sands from Thor and Friends. And like I said, I want to go to that place. It's actually hard for me to turn this music off once I turn it on, like for real. Um, I do not feel the same way about prog rock. Thor actually, he told me this great line. It didn't make it into the interview. He played some prog rock for his girlfriend, who's also in the band, Peggy. And she was like, oh yeah, it's boys showing off for other boys. And that's like how I feel about prog rock. I have never been able to get into it. But after listening to Thor, I can kind of see the appeal a little more. And especially when you connect it to like difficulty in classical music. I mean, kind of. Anyhow, I'm just glad for whatever music led Thor to the music he and his friends are making now. If you liked hearing the story, like the one you just heard from Thor about prog rock and classical music and like how he got into his latest project, then please take a minute, head to iTunes or Stitcher or wherever you get your podcasts and become a This Song subscriber. While you're there, you can peruse our archives and you can hear other stories from folks like Wilco guitarist Nels Klein, who talks about how hearing John Coltrane's Africa opened him up to the possibilities of sound, like how expansive sound could be. And then when you listen to the new Wilco record, Schmilko, you can listen close to the guitar and see if you hear John Coltrane's influence on Nels Klein. And while you're there perusing and subscribing, we would really love it, like love it, if you would leave a rating or a review. Okay, now let's move on to Miss Simplicity. They're a band out of Austin, Texas, and their members, Grace London and Zoe Zarnecki, are still in high school, but that doesn't mean they're total newcomers to music, like at all. Grace has worked with producer Brian Beatty since she was like 10. She was in a musical that he created called Ivy and the Wicker Suitcase, and he's helped produce her music, and Zoe has been playing bass for a long time. Grace used to play under her own name, but 
recently she decided to make the switch to being part of a band. So she and Zoe, they are Miss Simplicity. They came into KUTX, the radio station where we make this podcast, and we had a great chat talking about the songs that influenced them and the heartbreaks and struggles of music. So here they are, Grace and Zoe of Miss Simplicity. One, two, I'm trying to think because I'm super young, so like things that were transformational for me are probably not going to sound really cool because <laughs> I'm a millennial and things like 10 years ago weren't super cool usually. But like I do think that the artist that was the most transformational for me was probably Elliot Smith because who I do think is cool. Someone's always coming around here, trailing someone new kill. Says I seen your picture on a hundred dollar bill. What's a game chance to hear him as one of real skill? So glad to meet you, Angela. My parents are like into sports, so I never got like musical exposure from that part of my life so I definitely relied on like teachers and mentors to like give me any sort of um, introduction into that world. So one of my teachers he introduced me to Elliot Smith when I was like 10 and I couldn't really get it at that point but then I revisited it like two years later and I really fell in love with it and I don't know I think just because I had never heard something that was so super vulnerable Drink up, baby, stay up all night with the things you could do. You won't, but you might. The potential you'll be that you'll never see. The promises you'll only make. I don't know. A lot of people think of it as just like sad boy music just to cry to. But I think, I just think it's like really powerful to be that vulnerable. And I think that. I've definitely tried to translate that into my own songwriting, and he definitely really inspired me as a songwriter. So I just, I really loved that about him. So, so I'm interested in going back to this idea that like you didn't grow up in a house. Yeah. Not not only not with musicians in it, but like it doesn't sound like it, there was much music in your house. Yeah, like, not really, honestly. Yeah, it's interesting. So my parents are both in like the tennis world, uh-huh. and um, so is my little brother. So like that's um, yeah, it was interesting because they they wanted me to try sports. So I tried sports when I was really little, and I immediately like just completely didn't like it so they were like okay they didn't try to push it on me so they were just like okay well you have to do something so like let's try instrument lessons so I first started with piano lessons and I didn't really click with it but then I started guitar lessons when I was seven and I got really into it so yeah I don't know then it just became like they just let me have that thing that was like and they supported it even if they didn't always like know a ton about it which was great you said you really got into guitar was it Mm -hmm. 
do you love like guitar the instrument or do you love the fact that like guitar helps you write songs or is it kind of both because um, I feel like there's a difference you yeah know there I mean? is a yeah. difference it's definitely changed because like I started I started with classical guitar and so I've done that on and off, but I really started refocusing on classical guitar a couple years ago because um, I'm in, like, the guitar ensemble at my school. So I started doing private lessons again for it. And so I think for a while I thought of guitar as just, like, I definitely focused on it, but it was just, like, a nice way to accompany myself and to start writing. But I definitely, <sighs> classical, you see it as a totally different thing because there's all these different ways to make it sound like a different instrument uh, within classical interesting what can you make a a classical guitar sound like like a violin you actually no i mean (laughs) well in a classical guitar ensemble it's really cool because it's like a little orchestra but it's all the guitar and like we do a lot of like really like weird modern pieces where you literally just like hit the guitar in certain places or you'll like be pulling the strings and doing like bar talk and like it's it's really cool it's interesting But initially, when you when you kind of fell in love with it at like seven, mm-hmm. yeah, it was kind of so that you could play it, sing, and like play along and sing. I, I think I mean that took a little bit to develop, but mm-hmm. I did start with just guitar, and then I was like, I like to sing too. And he was like, <laughs> okay, so we might as well just try to do covers and stuff. Yeah, so. and you and you hear Elliot Smith when you're ten, mm-hmm. and I w- I mean I can understand a ten year old not yeah understanding I didn't get it. Elliot I was like, Smith what like is this is weird. <laughs> I mean I feel like you probably don't have the right. Uh, amount of like like hormones yeah exactly. you know what I mean like yeah. maybe when you're 12 and yeah. you're starting to change <laughs> exactly. all of a sudden you're like oh I understand yeah yeah but do you remember what it was when you rediscovered it I mean do you remember you said it you talked about like the vulnerability uh-huh and I don't want to put words in your mouth but I'm gonna ask because for, for me Elliot Smith he's so melodic that yeah. a lot of time like his melodies are so good that a lot of times I have to like push through to hear the lyrics because I just kind of want to float on those melodies for a while yeah um but do you remember what it was I mean was it just that he was that vulnerable or was it was it like a different I think I think it was a mix of things I don't know well because he you know some of his albums are very like raw and it's just him like with the guitar to a certain extent and then some of them definitely like build up more like figure eight has like a whole band behind him but um yeah i can see how it's not totally like his lyrics aren't totally obvious all the time but i i don't know they did push through for me because i i do like i don't know i always listen for the lyrics just because that's like how how I've always been because I started songwriting really young. Not all the time, but do you know what I mean? Like, Yeah, I mean, everyone hears things totally. Like, yeah. It's what do you listen to music mm-hmm. for and what do you hear first? So lyrics yeah. for you are like, are they I would the say first lyrics thing? are number one, yeah. Okay. And like, I'm a very emotional person for sure. So it was like, it was nice because, I don't know, I like that it's kind of like, 
his music is definitely self-deprecating a lot of the time, and I definitely write self-deprecating songs. And I think that, I don't know, I've done, like, I did this songwriting workshop, and they were talking about it, and they were like, well, in songwriting, you should, you know, people don't like to hear someone who's a victim. People like to hear someone who's, like, on top of the world or whatever, but I disagree with that. I don't know. What? I think what? Yeah. what? What is this yeah, songwriting I think, workshop? <laughs> I think that they were talking about like pop songs. Yeah. But I don't know. I think that it's important to kind of like have like be super self aware and like overly kind of like analytical for for some for some people. Just because like that's what people a lot of people can relate to, you know. Yeah, I mean I always look at it as like the people don't necessarily know what it means to be human. And they especially, and we all spend a lot of time hiding these vulnerable parts of ourselves from the world because Uh we're afraid that if we show the world what we feel, we'll be rejected by them or like laughed at. So, so for me personally, like one of the reasons I turn to music is so I can hear people being brave enough to be vulnerable, which makes me feel like, like, Oh, I can, I can expose that part of myself to you. Yeah, exactly. Because it's hard. It's scary. Like, when I have to play my songs in front of a room full of people that I know, that's why I prefer playing shows where, like, none of my friends from, like, high school are there. Because that makes me nervous because they'll know who I'm talking about. And that's scary because you're, like, totally putting yourself out there and your emotions out there for people to hear. But I I definitely think that it's super brave. And I think that a lot of people respect that. Should have told me I can't fix you in my head. I can't make a home out of things you've said to me. Things are always. Um, bass players call it the Dittersdorf Concerto. It's by a guy named uh, Carl Ditters von Dittersdorf. <laughs> um, I want that name. I, I love it. I really want to name a bunny. That, um, <laughs> I don't have access to a bunny, but I really think a bunny needs to be named Carl Ditters von Dittersdorf. And I had to play this concerto, um, in seventh grade, and it was, um, awful. It was really, really hard. And um, I cried a lot. There's this one um, arpeggio at the beginning, and um, I just like I so so many tears. Um, but I also, like, loved the concerto, and I, like, my mom got it for me on vinyl, and I just listened to it all the time while I was working on it, and I can, like, sing the whole thing, and I, but it was, it was, like, miserable to work on, and I just, uh, I feel like that was a really, it, really defining moment in now how I can, like, experience, like, classical music, because I had to, like, become one with the concerto while I was really, like, struggling to get through it, um, so I think it definitely changed how I now can 
experience and work on um, classical stuff. Can you kind of describe what it was about that that you that really got you? Um, so I played. Um, I'm talking specifically about the the first movement, um, which is it's a fast movement, and um, it's really dancey to me, and it's really happy. It's from um, the classical era, and um, just like it, it makes me happy and kind of feel like a little fancy, um, not like too fancy, but just like. I don't know. I would like dance around my room to it. <laughs> like I just, <laughs> oh, it is hard. But there's also these, um, this like harmon uh, harmonic passage. Um, and it's just like very like light and fast. And um, it just like, it feels very fun. I think it's hard, I don't know, classical music is sometimes really hard to like identify with or like relate to, I think, because it's not as like accessible as um, like contemporary songs or something where someone is like singing words. Um, and so this is the first piece I could really like, I don't know, that really made me feel anything um, because, um, yeah, it just it, it makes me feel happy and it's... Um, it's in a major key. It's and um, most basses <laughs> play it in D major, and it's just like it. It just it, I don't know. I don't know. It's hard, and it's hard to talk well, about and, it. <laughs> I mean, and that's the thing, especially when like you do have classical music that doesn't have lyrics. Um, it it pretty much just is there to like evoke feelings. Yeah, <laughs> and feelings can often be like kind of as hard to describe as music but it sounds like it, it's very like it kind of lit you up yes and it made you understand because in seventh grade i think i mean i think look i think a lot of adults feel this way about classical music it's like there's no words yeah it's boring <laughs> like oh what so that was the first you said it's the first time you really kind of understood like oh yeah this music can transmit this emotion and every time i hear it i feel this joy and want to dance whoa Okay, so that's what you liked about listening to it. Yes. Tell me what you hated about playing it. Well, it was, it was just, um, it's technically really, really hard for me. And also, um, it's kind of, it's it's not a particularly long movement, but um, I hadn't been playing bass for a super long time. So if I played the whole movement all the way through, I was just like exhausted at the end. And like my arms, like like I physically, like I could feel like my muscles and I would like be breathing harder, like just to get through this like one movement. Um and uh, actually, this this one passage at the beginning, it's this like arpeggio, and it's in some position, um, and it just like I couldn't I couldn't press the strings down for a really long time. So, what was it about like going through that process of like getting to the other side of all the tears and the the hardship? I had never been able to, I think, focus on something so hard because I liked the music enough that I wanted to keep playing it um, so I could work through how it was just it was miserable it was miserable I cried so much um, but I was able to um, like sit there and just I keep grinding it out I guess so it's like you got 
insight into like one of the big, I mean, one of the things that a lesson I feel like I'm still learning is like the most, like the most incredible things that you do are often at the same time the hardest. Yes. <laughs> like I think you some, we sometimes think, especially like because we live in a consumer culture, that like happiness equals ease. Yeah. And often, often like climbing the mountain is actually the best part of getting to the top of the mountain. Yeah. You know, like yeah, yeah, yeah. the view is nice, but like then you you look back and you're like, I climbed the mountain. <laughs> it was awesome. Definitely, definitely. So you're a bass player. Yes. And you are in Miss Simplicity with yes. Grace London, who's yes. a singer and a songwriter and a guitar player. And we just heard that Grace hears lyrics like, bam. How do you hear music? Like, what's the first thing you hear? I guess it really depends on the song or what I'm listening to. Um, I think a lot of the times I'm really focused on feeling, which I guess comes from like, classical music and I really like um I really like working with Grace and I really really like a lot of her music and um sometimes when she like plays me something for the first time what I really feel is like the feeling and um sometimes there's this one song she has called Transitions and I there's this one part in the middle that just like sounds so joyful and it like sounds like it it's like elation <laughs> but then sometimes I think it is also the lyrics because I think that's a really accessible thing for anyone and I don't know like also in terms of like Grace's music and I think there'll be lyrics that just like um kind of like punch you in the gut I think in terms of like just being like so similar to my own personal experience like the 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 couple lines that just make you go like oh <laughs> right on so you're looking for the thing too you're looking for the the thing yes, that we're all looking the, for, for someone to write, please write a song that I can yes. relate to and process my <laughs> yes. emotions to. Right on. 100%. <laughs> well, thank you both for sitting down with me. I appreciate it. Oh, take me down and I'll show you the way I'll remember to Miss Simplicity, and I really enjoyed talking to Grace and Zoe, hearing two women who are so tuned into music and what it can do and what their relationship to it is at such a young age. I, listen, I wish I'd been that hip when I was a kid. I feel like they know things at 17 that I didn't understand until last week. Seriously. I just foresee this really great, productive, creative journey ahead of them, and it's exciting. So I want to thank them for coming in. Miss Simplicity has an EP coming out, and they are having an EP release party on Friday, September 23rd at the Cactus Cafe. I'll post a link to tickets on the This Song page for this episode. And Thor and friends are going on the road. Maybe they're coming to your town. I'll make sure that their tour dates are up there 
as well. Thor and Friends also came into Studio 1A, our gorgeous live performance space here at KUTX, and I'll post the audio from that performance, and I will post a Spotify playlist on the page for this episode so you can hear all the songs all the way through. That's it. You have come to the end of another episode of This Song. This Song is a production of KUTX 98.9 in Austin, Texas. This episode was produced and edited by David Sanger and me, Elizabeth McQueen. I recorded the interviews with Thor and Miss Simplicity. Taylor Wallace runs our Instagram account, and she's awesome. Kelly Seal is our new intern, and she's bad to the bone. She is rocking it. Thanks to Peter Babb and Deidre Gott for all they do on this podcast. And yes, it's true. Our theme song is Mahout by Austin's own Hard Proof. You can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, or Snapchat. Our handle is at the song KUTX. You can like us on Facebook, and you can subscribe to this song, along with the other KUTX podcasts, Austin Music Minute, Liner Notes, and Song of the Day on iTunes. Right on. Thanks for listening. Talk to you next time. Mm-hmm.